Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Himalaya. Have you been trying to better manage your time, become more mindful, start your own business? As regular listeners of this show know, Himalaya is a new audio-first learning platform with over 150 courses on personal and professional development, taught by instructors like Malcolm Gladwell, divorce court judge Lynn Toller, mindfulness expert Sharon Salzberg, and many other thought leaders. What Himalaya is doing is different than a typical podcast, as these are carefully curated audio courses rather than just more folks talking. Each Himalaya audio course is organized so that each lesson is a digestible 15-minute episode that focuses on the big ideas. Think of it as a pack of snack-sized lessons that'll nourish your brain. It's the best way for busy people like you to fit learning into your life. And Himalaya's curated learning tracks make it easy to find courses you'll love on the topics you'll need to transform your life. Personally, I really enjoyed journalist Eric Weiner's course, The Good Fight, because it teaches how to fight constructively and creatively. His ideas are based on history, philosophy, and psychology, but he also gets practical as he gives advice on how to disagree and communicate effectively with the people we love and even those we don't really care for, really anyone with whom we might come into conflict. For a limited time, Think Like an Economist listeners can go to Himalaya.com and enter promo code ECON at checkout for a 14-day free trial. That's Himalaya.com. Enter the promo code ECON at checkout for a 14-day free trial. I'm Owen Barra. I'm the director and distiller of More Irish Gin. We're based here in Ireland, and we export mainly to the US and to the UK. We import our glass for the bottles from the UK and our corks from Portugal. You may remember our gin distiller friend, Owen Barra, from Ireland. He was in our recent episode on investment, telling us about how his business is really booming. Owen's business hasn't just been booming at home in Ireland, though, because Moore sells a lot of their delicious gin in the US and in the UK. All of this is good news, but it also means that Owen has to make decisions involving different currencies. In Ireland, he's used to thinking about the euro, but his customers in the United States use US dollars and folks in the UK use pounds which they also call sterling. We take a look at the currency markets because we trade in sterling and because sterling has been so volatile. And the same with the US dollar, it's been a little bit nuts. So we've had to take sort of strategic views on both. A lot of businesses are like Owens. They have to factor in exchange rates when making decisions. That could be because they're selling their products abroad or because they import their inputs, like when Owen buys glass and cork for his gin bottles. Most of us buy goods from abroad every day. We also may work for companies who sell stuff to people in other countries. All this international trade involves changing currencies and dealing with exchange rates. And international finance and exchange rates are our subject on this week's episode of Think Like an Economist with me, Betsy Stevenson. 
and I'm Justin Wolfers. We're teaching you the super tools of economics that'll transform your globalised life. Journalist and former economics student Nazran Tavakoli Far is with us. I know it's a cliche, but we are living in an increasingly global and integrated world. So, so much of the stuff I'm using right now while we're doing this recording is imported from all over the world. My laptop is from China. My microphone is from Denmark. The headphones I'm using are Japanese, and they're all made with materials which were sourced from different countries around the world. Don't forget your co-hosts. I'm an import from Australia. And I'm from the United States. And Naz, you're in the UK, making a podcast for Himalaya, who are in the US and are owned by a company in China. Naz, you're a journalist who works for companies all over the world. Do they always pay you in your currency, pounds? Yeah, I get paid in a lot of different currencies, including US dollars. And I try to be a bit strategic about when I convert my money into pounds sterling, because sometimes fluctuations could make a difference of even a few hundred pounds on my end. Yeah, so that can be really significant. Last season, we were focusing on microeconomics. We looked at this through the lens of international trade and how so many people can benefit from trading with people in other countries. Yes, and this was related to the theory of comparative advantage, which is about doing a task at the lowest opportunity cost. Right. Remember that people should focus on producing what they are good at and buying what they aren't so good at making. And sometimes that means crossing international borders. Yeah. So say if Japanese automakers produce cars at the lowest opportunity cost and American farmers grow corn at the lowest opportunity cost, then on average, people in both countries will be better off if Americans grow corn and exchange it for Japanese made cars. That's right. But let's remember, in reality, Americans don't directly trade corn for Japanese cars. I mean, that would be kind of silly, right? Instead, Americans sell corn to Japanese buyers and use the money to buy cars from Japanese car companies like Toyota. In all this, there's a lot of money exchanging hands, including both U.S. dollars and Japanese yen. When American farmers sell corn to Japan, they list the price of their corn in U.S. dollars. Like right now, corn currently sells for around $230 per tonne. That means that Japanese corn buyers will need $230 U.S. dollars if they want to buy a tonne of corn. So the demand for corn translates into a demand for U.S. dollars. A similar thing happens when Toyota is selling its Japanese cars to American wholesalers. They demand to be paid in yen, which is Japan's currency. So in each case, there are going to be foreign exchange transactions involved as people have to convert dollars to yen or yen to dollars. And what happens if the exchange rate changes so the Japanese yen becomes more expensive? It's a great question, and it really matters. Because even if the price of a Toyota doesn't change, so a Prius is fixed at, say, 300,000 yen, then that car has still become more expensive to Americans because it'll cost more US dollars to buy those yen to buy that car. So maybe some Americans will switch to cars made in the US or buy cars from Germany or France or somewhere else. Yes, and so let's be clear what we mean by the Japanese yen becoming more expensive. If the yen becomes more expensive, this means you can buy fewer yen with your dollars. That's right. And it can be hard to keep this stuff straight. So right now, a dollar will buy 106 yen. If tomorrow a dollar buys you fewer yen, say only 100 yen, then we'd say the yen's gotten more expensive. Or we might say that it takes more dollars to buy any specific number of yen, so it takes more dollars to buy something priced in yen. 
Naz, I have a confession to make. I have to say that international finance can start to sound really complicated. And, you know, I always imagine like guys sitting around and trading currencies, but it's not really about something esoteric. It's really about how much stuff can I buy and how much are people going to pay me for my stuff? So think about it. If the yen becomes more expensive, then any of the goods you might buy from Japan become more expensive. That means you're going to have to spend more of your hard-earned dollars to buy Japanese stuff. If Japanese stuff becomes more expensive, then you're going to want to buy fewer things from Japan. So that means Americans will import fewer Toyotas and other goods. By the way, when a currency gets stronger, we say it appreciates. And let's remember, we can also talk about the exchange rate in another way. If we say that one dollar today buys us 106 yen, we could also say that one yen buys us one one hundred and sixth of a US dollar. That's right. Let's cut through the numbers here to get to the bottom line. A stronger yen means Americans will buy fewer imports from Japan. Or from the Japanese perspective, it means they'll have fewer exports from Japan to the US. There's actually something that is really important here. Politicians all over the world, I think, get themselves tied up in knots because they like the word strong. So they say, hey, we want a strong currency. But realize it's a two-edged sword. A strong currency means that it's going to be harder to sell your stuff abroad. So it's tough on your exporters. It's good on your importers. You get to buy stuff cheaper. So some win and some lose. Exactly. I feel like people sometimes worry about other countries using exchange rates to manipulate foreign marketplaces. The biggest example of this is probably China, which was accused of manipulating their exchange rate so that their currency would be cheap. And if their currency is cheap, then we can buy a lot of Chinese stuff really, really cheaply. And they're hoping that gives them an edge as they try to sell their things around the world. So basically, Chinese manufacturers can sell more stuff because their stuff is so cheap. American manufacturers hated this. Yeah, it feels like anti-competitive. It's no fair. Their stuff's so cheap. But remember, there's always two sides to a story. Yeah, so that means American consumers are like, woohoo, everything's really cheap, so my paycheck's going further. This was wonderful news for people who need to buy kids' toys, for instance. I always found it kind of funny. Like, we don't usually walk into a store and say, how dare this store put everything on sale? But that's what the U.S. was saying to China. It was saying that because the U.S. is the store around the corner that was losing all that business. Yeah, that's the way to think about it, right? Who complains about a store putting everything on sale? The store next door that doesn't want to put everything on sale. And so the consumers were benefiting, the producers were hurting, and that explains a lot of the politics about complaints about China's exchange rate. Now, I should add, the accusation that China was keeping its currency too cheap, artificially the government was getting involved and pushing its exchange rate down, there was probably a lot of evidence for that a few years ago. It's much less clear whether they're doing it right now. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Should we bring in our trusty friends, Supply and Demand? I figure they're going to turn up at some point. They always do. They're so helpful. And they're so helpful for thinking about exchange rates. Supply and demand are lurking in the background here. So, Naz, if I'm an American farmer selling my corn to someone in Japan, what's happening exactly? Well, you sell your corn for $230 per tonne, and so they will need to pay you in dollars. That means your buyer will have to exchange their yen for dollars, which is like saying that they're demanding US dollars on the currency markets. That's right. So the demand for dollars comes from foreigners looking to buy stuff in the United States. Partly, this will be stuff we export, like corn. It could also come from foreigners looking to buy new companies or other financial assets in the United States. So Naz, now what if the price of dollars were really high? If the price of the dollar were really high, then it's going to take more yen to buy the $230 for each tonne of American corn. Therefore, for someone in Japan, it's as though goods made in the US are suddenly super expensive. So they're going to buy a lot less American goods, which means they're going to demand fewer dollars. That's right. So there's less demand for US dollars when the price of the US dollar is higher. And to understand the supply side, the supply of US dollars, let's think about an American car wholesaler who wants to buy a Toyota Prius from Japan. So they'll need to pay in yen in order to buy that Prius. So they'll supply their US dollars to the foreign exchange market in order to buy those yen. So the supply of US dollars comes from Americans wanting to buy stuff from abroad. It's all supply and demand, Naz. And to return to Betsy's earlier question, what would change if the price of the dollar were really high? Okay, in that case, that means a dollar can buy a lot more yen. So now the price of buying however many yen a Prius costs is a lot fewer dollars. If the cost to Americans of buying stuff from abroad is lower, it's like everything made abroad is on sale. So Americans are going to want to buy a lot more of this stuff, which means they'll be supplying a lot more dollars. Exactly. And so that's why there's more supply of US dollars when the price of the dollar is high. So the point is that the foreign exchange market is much like any other market. The more expensive a currency like the dollar is, the less of it will be demanded as Japanese buyers find American stuff to be too expensive. And so they'll want to buy less American stuff and hence fewer American dollars. However, on the flip side, the more expensive the dollar is, the more Americans will want to supply it so that they can buy foreign goods, which now seem super cheap. Yeah, so dollars are just like any other product. There's less demand for them when they're expensive, and there's more supply when uh, they're expensive. And our friends, supply and demand are going to get together and hit that equilibrium where supply equals demand. So we've just started looking at our demand and supply of currency and what that does to the exchange rate. Generally, what are factors that impact demand for a currency? And, and let's stick with dollars for now. Well, what will make other countries want more dollars? Like, let's say we're asking what will make people in Japan demand more U.S. dollars. I'm guessing that no one buys currencies for fun. 
So Japanese people will buy more US dollars only if they're planning on buying more things from the US. So anything that will make them demand more American goods is going to make them want more dollars. If the world or the Japanese economy is booming, then people in Japan are going to feel richer. And they're going to want to buy more stuff, including more American corn and also American-made computers and aircraft and so on. And to do that, they need to buy more U.S. dollars. Lowering trade barriers also affects the exchange rates. Did you know that Japan used to require American apples to be quarantined for a period of time before they could be sold? That basically led the apples to spoil, which made the whole enterprise a bust. Lifting these trade barriers meant that American farmers started exporting their fruit to Japan. Can you imagine putting an apple in quarantine? It took me a long time to wrap my head around that because obviously that apple's not going to do very well. And that meant that, you know, Japanese people didn't really demand American apples. But once we lifted those trade barriers, what you saw was a big increase in demand for American fruit, like American apples. Which meant an increase in demand for American dollars. And what about the prices of goods in other countries? Does that have an impact as well? That's a huge factor. So say you're a Japanese consumer buying corn from the US. Well, Brazil is also a big exporter of corn. But if their corn suddenly becomes more expensive, maybe they've had a drought or something, then people all around the world will have to turn to buying American corn instead. They'll have to buy more American dollars to buy more American corn, increasing the demand for dollars. Yeah, so this is about the interdependence principle. Exchange rates are all about the interdependence principle. They're about global interdependence. There's another form of interdependence that really matters, and that's all about financial flows around the world. Remember in our last episode, we looked at financial markets and stocks and bonds and all that stuff? Well, it's really relevant here because if foreigners buy U.S. Treasury bills, then they'll need to buy U.S. dollars to buy those Treasury bills. And so these financial flows are a huge part of the demand for dollars. Yeah, so interest rates are really going to matter here. If the U.S. has high interest rates, well, savers from all around the globe are going to want to try to get at those high interest rates. So more foreigners will want to put their money into U.S. banks to get a better return on their cash. So a higher interest rate will lead to a rise in the demand for dollars. And it's not just about putting money in the bank either. It's about investing in companies, and so therefore business profitability matters. Anything that makes American businesses more profitable will make American companies more attractive to invest in. So anything like, say, lower business taxes will lead foreigners to want to invest more in the United States, and to invest in the United States means they'll have to buy more dollars. And look, the investors want as little risk as possible, which is why political stability is an important factor. The U.S. tends to be relatively stable politically compared to other countries. It makes it really attractive for foreign investors. And this helps solve one of those big mysteries of international finance. Why is it that political developments in other countries force the dollar up and down? Well, it's because the U.S. is regarded as a safe haven. So if you don't like having your money in a country that's in the midst of political upheaval, you might shift your funds to the U.S., But to do that, you'll first have to convert your money into dollars. So that's going to increase your demand for dollars, driving up the US dollar. Okay, so we've just talked about how political instability affects exchange rates. I sense we may say something about expectations too, because expectations keep coming up in macroeconomics. (laughs) They absolutely do. Expected changes in exchange rate really matter because they also affect the demand for dollars. Think about what the foreign exchange market is. In one sense, it's thousands of speculators all trying to make a buck. They're crunching numbers and 
downloading data, all trying to figure out clues about whether the dollar is going to appreciate or depreciate next. Any news that the demand for dollars might increase in the future will immediately send speculators rushing to buy dollars as they anticipate that they're going to be worth more in the near future. I'm interested in how these exchange rate movements impact someone like Owen, who's based in Ireland, where they use the euro, but he exports his gin to the US and the UK, where they use different currencies. I asked Owen what he does to deal with all these exchange rate changes. When the dollar is weak, as in we get more dollars for our euros, we try and actually move money into the States. And that's to fund expansion and to fund marketing and things like that. But when the dollar is strong against the euro, we try and move money back. So Owen is saying when the dollar is weak against the euro, he's going to move his money into dollars and spend it in the U.S. on things that will help grow his business in the U.S. This is because when you can buy a lot of dollars with your euros, it's going to make it cheaper for him to invest in his business in the U.S., which will allow him to promote his more Irish gin to the U.S. market, and he'll be paying for them in U.S. dollars. Owen also said that he imports some of the things used to make his gin. He talked about the glass bottles he puts the gin in, and also the corks which seal the bottles. The glass bottles are from the UK and the corks are from Portugal. Well, lucky for him, Portugal has the same currency as Ireland, the euros, so he doesn't need to change any currency to buy his corks, but he does have to convert his euros into pounds sterling to buy those glass bottles from England. Yeah, but at the same time, Owen sells his gin in the UK. And he told me something interesting they do so they're not converting money from one currency to another all the time. We use euros much like the rest of Europe. But when we sell in the UK, we sell in pounds. And we use those pounds to buy our glass bottles and we use them for marketing expenses for as much as possible. So we don't try and convert back to euros. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. It is, because whenever you change currencies, you have to pay some fees for that service, and that costs money and you want to avoid that. He's pretty smart. He's cutting out the middleman. We're talking about all this money coming and going into different countries with different currencies. So we're going to keep track of all these inflows and outflows through something we call a current account balance. If we stick to the U.S., the current account balance will measure all the income that Americans receive from abroad relative to the income that Americans pay abroad. And so money people pay for American exports, that's got to be a big chunk of the money coming into the U.S. That's right, but it's not the whole story because there's also investment income. So if you're an American who's bought shares in a Japanese company like Toyota, for example, and you get dividends from those shares... Well, those dividends are another source of foreign income into the U.S. And in terms of income that Americans pay abroad, we're talking about the money Americans spend on imports. Also, is there investment income that goes to foreigners? There is. Remember that foreigners might buy, say, U.S. Treasury bills or put their money into American banks. Well, any payout they get from those Treasury bills or those interest payments will flow back out of the U.S. to that foreign investor. It's easy to obsess about the money that's going out, but realize there's a real benefit to Americans, too. For instance, foreigners might use their funds to build a factory in the U.S. That factory employs Americans who will enjoy their monthly pay. But the profits that factory earns go back to its owner, who's overseas. If that factory wouldn't have been built without foreign funding, then it's a pretty good deal for the U.S. More foreign funds, more factories. 
Justin, there's a lot of money flowing around in this episode. What are some exercises we can do to really get to grips with all this? Realise that if you're just thinking about the foreign exchange market, it can be complicated. But the only reason we're ever buying or selling foreign currencies is to do some real business in that other country. So think about the real reasons we're doing business with foreigners. Usually it's to buy goods from abroad or it's to sell goods to foreigners. And sometimes it's also about investments. That's what drives the demand and supply of currency. The thing is, understand that the reason why you might see prices going up for some of the things you buy might be because of the way foreign exchange markets are changing. So if the dollar becomes stronger, you know, it's actually a good time to buy the imports you like to buy. When that dollar becomes weaker, well, those things are going to be getting more expensive. And realize, of course, that the currency is a two-edged sword. A stronger dollar is going to be great if you're buying stuff from abroad, but you're going to lose a lot of customers for your export markets as well. And what about all of these financial flows? This is where people get tripped up a lot. They worry, for instance, that the Japanese are buying all of America. What's really happening is they're buying US dollars so that they can invest in the US, perhaps putting money in banks that will then lend that money to US businesses, maybe building new factories. And while the profits from those factories go abroad, the jobs those factories create will go to Americans. I feel like I'm going to have my eye on a lot of foreign goods and see if their prices change. Most of us NAS think exchange rates only matter when we're at the airport about to fly to another country, but they shape the price of everything you're going to buy. Justin's point is that it's so obvious to you when you're you're traveling, but it's actually really shaping the underlying things you're buying. Like think about it, you walk into the grocery store and it's the middle of winter in Britain and the fruits and vegetables you want to buy seem cheaper. Why? Well, that would mean maybe the pound got a bit stronger. So that's letting you buy cheap fruit and vegetables in the middle of winter. Betsy, Justin, thanks. Thanks for listening. There's a lot more from this show and others like it on the Himalaya Learning Platform. Himalaya Learning provides bite-sized courses from world-class thinkers and industry experts for you to enjoy in the app, on the go. For exclusive content, including bonus episodes and supplemental materials, go to Himalaya.com econ and enter promo code econ at checkout for your first 14 days free. Himalaya.com econ has loads of great shows like ours, so try it out using the promo code ECON at checkout to get your first 14 days free. It's time to think like an economist. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.